Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And, and we have some great news for you today and uh, lots of news. In the studio with us is Judge Richard Weinberg, uh, a real smart, middle-of-the-road Democrat. Is that a good description? And I, I, we, I certainly hope so. And we have George Venizelos today, today with us, and four years with the DEA and 24 years uh, with the FBI, being the head of the New York office. The uh, uh, What's the exact title? Assistant Director in Charge. Director in Charge. He's in charge of all New York, the biggest FBI office. And my sidekick, Lydia. How are you, Lydia? I'm doing well. We have such a crazy, busy news day. Uh, we, of course, will be talking about the Supreme Court murder plot and so much more, as well as the energy crisis. We'll be speaking with Don Levy. He is a pollster with Siena, that incredible poll regarding Mayor Adams. Then we'll be speaking with Michael Goodwin. We'll also talk to Ken Friedman, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel. But first on the line, we have Harold Hamm. Basically, he's an energy mogul extraordinaire. We are experiencing a crisis when it comes to energy. And perhaps, uh, Mr. Hamm, you have the solution for us. I know John has some ideas, but for whatever reason, the Biden administration doesn't seem to be listening. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. It's good to be with you today. And certainly, uh, energy is uh, a huge issue. It's all, all, all the buzz on all the news across the nation as these gasoline prices spike. And you have to just step back, ask yourself, what's different? What different in 18 months, uh, you know, from the air of abundance with energy uh, that and today? And uh, everybody wants to blame Russia and you, the Ukrainian situation, but you have to look a little, little bit closer at home, and you find that one of the big things that this Biden that the Biden administration did was take away federal lands. Uh, uh, drilling and development, and that's about a third of the productive capacity of the U.S., roughly. So uh, when you look at that one big piece, uh, that explains the issue. And we see, uh, without that, we see uh, uh, the gasoline prices uh, and product prices keep continuing upward. Yet they, they keep doubling down. They refuse to change their stance on that, and they don't allow federal permitting of wells or federal leasing. Uh, Mr. Hamm, what was your reaction to hearing what Janet Yellen had to say regarding inflation? I want I want you guys all to take a listen to what she said. With respect to energy, the uh, administration has done everything that they can to bring down energy costs, for example, through um, an historic release um, of a million barrels a day from the strategic petroleum reserve. So 
do you think the Biden administration has done everything they could? And I know John Katzmatidis, what is a million barrels? Is that even that's like a literally a drop in the bucket, right? It's a drop in the bucket. Harold Ham? Yes, it absolutely is a drop in a bucket. Uh, you know, that's a very short term. Uh, uh, you know, it's not even a fix. You can't call it a fix. It's not a fix. It doesn't uh, supplant what's need, needed at all. So uh, when you when you look at this whole situation with what she said, you know, that they've done everything they can. I mean, just I can politely say that's incorrect. Uh, you could say something else. Politely, it's incorrect. Harold, John Kasmatidis, I, I look forward to breaking bread with you in the near future again. But it, it's they, they are harming America. Uh, they rather buy from the Venezuelans, the Iranians, the Saudi Arabians, Russia, all the foreign countries. And we're moving wealth because oil hit. Ready, ladies and gentlemen, a hundred and twenty-two dollars a barrel today. We are transferring America's wealth to foreign countries because Washington is refusing to use American oil. Uh, what say you, Harold? Well, you're exactly right, John. It's uh, it's ridiculous, and uh, uh, you know you said exactly right. And you know his trip to Saudi Arabia next week. Uh, you know, he's going to find out about one thing, and that is that they're tapped out. Uh, so, you know, it's not that they're holding back a lot. Uh, OPEC's not holding back a lot. They've got two countries that eat, that eat, they're, that's capable of making, uh, you know, the liable that they set on themselves. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, Saudi Arabia is one of them that can make that liable that, that basically they're tapped out. They can't come on with uh, a lot of uh, additional capacity. Uh, understood. And uh, uh, the price of ga- uh, gas uh, uh, has gone up tremendously too. Besides, uh, uh, besides, I mean, uh, petroleum gas. Yeah. Yes, uh, it is. Well, you know, it takes two, and oil and gas, and and natural gas is one of those things. You shut down. Uh, drilling like's been done here in the U.S. and and so pretty soon that that's hurting as well. But uh, you know it it yes you're, it's uh, it's it's not as expensive as it is in Europe and uh, around the world, but it, it's it's definitely up. Well, yesterday I understand he begged uh, the Venezuelans to ship uh, uh, Venezuelan oil to the European Community uh, countries. And give them the privilege of paying one hundred and twenty dollars a barrel. I mean, I just don't understand the philosophy of Washington today. Well, you know, the only way you understand is go back and look what Joe Biden said as a campaign, and that was that he wanted to put oil and gas out of out of business, oil and gas companies. But you know, this has backfired on them. They need to realize that. And, uh, and and basically reverse those failed energy policies that they have. I predicted $6 gasoline from the day they went in office, and uh, that's exactly what's happened, uh, John. It, you know, it's simple economics 101. You know, you can't shut down supply. Demand is, uh, continues upward, uh, you know, and, and so pretty soon you're running short. And I understand we went... Uh, there was a chart on before in 1982, 
United States have 301 refineries. 2002, we had 153. 2021, we're down to 124. Wow. I mean, you know, they're trying to choke the oil industry and move the business to electric cars which China makes all the batteries. I mean, what say you on that? But Harold Tam, just like you said, the, the the demand is still there. So you can't cut the supply when the demand is still there. Absolutely. You can't. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, cheap oil and gas is what's built America. And, and uh, you know, they've, they've tried to, to shut down American production. And uh, demand is still there, still growing. And, and uh, you know, what has to give is price, and so that's what's happened. How we so got we a need... minute left. What do you want to tell the American people? How do we save America? <clears throat> yes, five solutions. Very simple. You know, uh, allow permitting again on federal lands. Uh, why they've taken that off? I mean, we've been producing uh, federal lands for 100, 140 years. Uh, why? Why this administration would uh, do that? It's crazy. Uh, leasing on federal land, that, that certainly has to be uh, uh, continued, and they've cut that off. Uh, they hadn't uh, allowed any new leasing. You're right about the refinery capacity. You know, they have to incentivize uh, new refinery capacity, quit making it so tough on regulation. And that's the third and fourth thing, onerous regulations. They can't keep piling those on this industry. You just can't do that, and that's what they're trying to do. And they have to basically say, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. And the fifth thing is infrastructure, building pipelines and uh, allowing new pipelines, LNG uh, facilities to be to be built in this country. Harold Ham, thank you so much. for, And I know you love America, and thank you for being truthful to the American people. And we'll catch up again real soon. I love America just like you do, John. Thank you. God bless Thank America. You. Now on the line for us, we have uh, Ken Friedman. He's a veteran journalist, government and media relations strategist. And we wanted to talk to you, uh, Ken Friedman, of course, the big story of the day. There was an impossible attempt on Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh's life. A uh, man is now under arrest. His name is John Rosk. And he was found, according to a police affidavit, they searched his bag and he had a tactical well, chest rig, a pistol. I mean, last week, Ken was on our show and he talked to us, talked to us about what's happening in San Francisco. I want to know about that, too. That's right. That's oh. what I was going to talk about again. Well, tell us what the heck happened in San Francisco. Something good. They recall it's about time. Hey, could you it imagine if something good happened in San Francisco? You think the people in New York will realize it? I I, I hope so, and uh, I expect so. You know, you could not pay attention to what happened in San Francisco. You know, it would require uh, the, the governor, as you know, to, to recall um, the progressive DAs in New York City. And there, there, is, there is more than one. Everyone talks about Alvin Bragg, but there, were, there are a couple of others. Um, well, how much, what, well, what was the score? What was the score crime. yesterday? What, well, how much did he lose by? Well, well, how much? 61, 61% voted to uh, recall him. So and this is San Francisco. This is, holy cow, that's a lot for San Francisco. Uh, so, well, 106,000 people voted. In a city of you know less than nine hundred thousand, and most of those were Democrats. 
Ken, uh, Ken Friedman, I want everybody to listen to whom uh, Chessa Bowden, am I saying his name right, Boone. or Boudin? Boudin blames for his uh, recall. Boudin. Boudin. What is Boudin? How do you say Boudin. it? Boudin. Boudin. Whatever. He's out. Uh, let's, let's listen to what uh, Chessa, who he blames. Take a listen. And I want to be very clear about what happened tonight. The right-wing billionaires outspent us three to one. <laughs> they exploited an environment in which people are appropriately upset and they created an electoral dynamic where we were literally shadow boxing voters were not asked to choose between criminal justice reform and something else they were given an opportunity to voice their frustration and their outrage and they took that opportunity <laughs> it's called cognitive dissonance ken freeman what say you yeah well, I say before any right-wing billionaires funded the recall effort, George Soros funded the campaigns of progressive uh, uh, district attorneys across the country. So, so Ken, it's Richard Weinberg. Do you think this is good foreshadowing for what's going to happen in the Los Angeles district attorney's recall effort? Yes, yes, it is. They're right now shy, only 60,000 uh, names um, on a, on the petition to get it on the ballot. They have about 600,000 names collected. So, yes, George Gascon better better look over his shoulder. Um, and how much time do they have to collect that at extra 60,000? July, until July. You know, I think the fact that this happened in San Francisco, which has never happened there before, I think this is a watershed moment for the entire mm-hmm. nation. Americans mm-hmm. are sick and tired of the lawlessness and they want to feel safe, and they want to be safe, and they want these well, regressives out of office now. That's right. It's no longer an abstract concept, uh, crime. You know, Ed Koch once famously said on his radio show when a caller called in to say that his friend was uh, was mugged and he was still liberal, Koch responded, oh, yeah, mug him again. And that's what's going on around the country. Crime is visiting, you know, expensive doorsteps. You know, people in nice neighborhoods are having their cars broken into and their apartments broken into with themselves at home. That's what happened in San Francisco. Murders, assaults on Asians. Uh, it's, it was wanton lawlessness going on. So I, we expect that London Breed, the okay. mayor, will appoint a more moderate uh, district attorney to replace Boudin. Now, uh, talk to me about Los Angeles. Same things happening in Los Angeles? Same thing is happening in Los Angeles. There's a recall effort to uh, uh, to uh, uh, against uh, the sitting DA, uh, George Gascon, who, funnily enough, had been the, the DA in San Francisco at one time. Um, and for some reason, <laughs> they didn't learn their mistake in, in L.A. They didn't learn from San well, Francisco's mistake. And Ken they, Friedman, they elected him. keep us informed of what's going on. And, and thank you for keeping all New Yorkers informed because – New York uh, uh, people that are liberal-minded look at uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, and they follow. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Take care, John. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, And now we want to talk amongst ourselves for a few minutes. Uh, George, uh, uh, we had uh, a report yesterday on Peter Navarro uh, that he was uh, handcuffed, shackled, uh, strip searched, strip searched, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You were with the FBI for 24 years. Uh, you were in charge of the FBI office in New York. Can you give, I mean, a lot of people were, were outraged when they heard that, but give us the other side, uh, 
you know, the other yes. side of the story or from the FBI point of view. It'd be, it'd be a pleasure to, you know, being uh, hearing a lot of his reports and some of them are grossly exaggerated. Um, I'll tell you what happened. Um, obviously, he was arrested uh, at the airport and brought back uh, to the marshals for processing. And also before his initial appearance, you know, there's a questionnaire that he has to fill out paperwork for bail. For bail. Um, the marshals have a have policy. You know, they, they, they well, he, was at, he was arrested by the FBI or by the marshals? It's not clear, but my gut will tell me it was probably the FBI at the airport. But who had custody of him when they went through the process? Well, they, the custody transfers to the, to the marshal's office. But right. what's the purpose of the strip search and the leg well, irons? It's a nonviolent. They point. do it. They have policies there. The marshals have a policy. Everybody who goes in there, who goes into cell, you know, gets searched because they don't want somebody to go in there and suicidal and they kill themselves or something like that. They have. They also have a policy that when they're going for a hearing, they in, in the public areas, the areas from the cell to outside the courtroom. They shackle everybody. Everybody gets shackled. So he wasn't the other one shackled. Everybody who goes through the process gets shackled. Why not just make an appointment and tell him come turn well, yourself that's in? Different. That's a different thing. That oh. was a, the okay. Department of Justice. Okay. Or I believe, George, you got to tell me you're right. Is the process the Department of Justice makes a decision? Oh. Well, he well he and, a, and then they, the Department of Justice, you think you think. Made a decision and called the FBI to to, to arrest well, them, or did Congress can't do it on their own? This they? is what probably happened. The, 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 US, the, the assistant U.S. attorneys, obviously, he's represented. They're in the go. They're in discussions with the attorneys. What they should have did is continue the discussion. Hey, have him report, right? So now, whether what really happened, I don't know. You know, whether it was a breakdown of communication, and all of a sudden he's going on a plane. Uh, I'm not sure where he was going, and and then they probably panicked. Said, well, "Let's get him before he leaves town." I mean, the the lawyers, the the prosecutors, and the defense attorneys should be in constant negotiations to talk about this. Everybody knew this was going to happen at some point, and I agree. They should just just had a report. He's not a he's not a violent criminal or anything like that. Just have him report. The Department of Justice, whoever made, if Congress went to the Department of Justice, then they should just have him report. Absolutely. I mean, why go through the same thing they went through with Roger Stone? The, the, the man never owned a gun. He didn't even own a passport. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know any of that. But if that's what he's saying, I that's don't know. That's what he said. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. So I just, you know, and I, and I think there's a, there's a lot of law enforcement. Force of passion going on on both sides. No, and, we don't want any. Yeah, we want to so. know the truth. This exactly. show is about the truth. That's why I asked you to come in mm-hmm. and 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 tell the people the truth about what, how you usually how it goes right. down. Is that the way you said? And it? doesn't right. the FBI have to follow orders? You got to follow orders, right? Right. Well, yeah, if, they, mean, if you're told to go arrest somebody, you can't say no. I don't want to. No, they have to go arrest somebody. Well, if a warrant's out there, they have to go uh, yeah. execute the warrant. Uh, in he, other words, the boss is the Department of Justice. After he was indicted, well, let's let's back up from it. After he was indicted, there's a process that they have to go through. Judge he, Weinberg, he could have he could have voluntarily worked out a negotiated deal, defense right. lawyers, a prosecution, to surrender himself at a certain point in time. Okay, but the larger question is whether this was a good indictment. 
This is the conversation we had that's, the other night. That's a different set. That's a different set. I understand. I understand. That's a different one. That's, and the Department of Justice made their own decision without thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, happen, and I happen to agree with Professor Alan Dershowitz, who was on the other night mm-hmm. with us. There was no basis at all as a matter of law to indict this guy. Number one, you had a, you had a stacked committee. You didn't have a minority representative on, on the Republican side. In other words, the preside, you have a chairman and then you have the ranking member. There was no ranking member. They had a couple of handpicked people by Pelosi, the speaker of Republicans who were sympathetic. So the deck was stacked against him from the get-go. So therefore, that's due process. It's it's defective. Okay? Next, if there's an – you don't indict. I heard Navarro so, needs an, an attorney. He might he might give you a call. I hope so. But the next <laughs> but the next thing is you indict you indict him. No, you have to go in when a guy asserts executive privilege. You have to go into court and get a declaration from the court after a careful examination whether or not he's entitled to executive privilege. Navarro has no right to waive the executive privilege that Trump had, and moreover. Biden, as president of the United States, had no right to say there was no executive privilege because it belongs to Trump, his predecessor. You know what I say, Judge? Not guilty. There you but go. You made his, your case. Again, Not guilty. his attorneys should be advising him about it, right? His attorneys should know that. And then you'll say that'll be $500,000. Here's your bill. Well, the 5 o'clock show, it cats at night. We always tell the truth and we look. And I understand we might have Peter Navarro on tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 George Venizelo, so you're, you're, you're calling somebody from the, the marshal's office to talk about procedure mm-hmm. and see maybe, you know, no guarantees, but maybe they'll come yeah, on too. Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, well, thank you guys. And let, why don't we do this? Why don't we take the break? And uh, who do we have after the break? We will talk to Michael Goodwin of the New York Post. We're going to talk more of about the January 6th committee. Of course, we'll talk about that attempt possibly made on Kavanaugh's life. That and so Michael much more. Michael Goodwin is one smart guy. Absolutely. And you know what? Keep it right here at Cats at Night, where you'll get the truth and nothing but the truth. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, our Pulitzer Prize winning writer himself of the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. Michael Goodwin, so much to talk about. I know the January 6th committee hearings are starting tomorrow. But first, we kind of wanted to talk about the Supreme Court uh, Justice Kavanaugh. The, an attempt was made on his life. They now have someone in custody. Do you, What do you know? Well, uh, Lydia, thank you. I just uh, I know what I read. And um, I read those the same reports probably that you did, that uh, this, this man basically uh, confessed to coming, traveling uh, to kill Justice Kavanaugh. He got out of a car, I guess, in front of a, in front of the judge's house and walked a bit. And uh, eventually, when when the police, uh, he told them he had a gun and he was thinking of killing himself, too. So he sounds like a very troubled individual, but that's precisely the point about the language that politicians use in public. There was a lot of threats made toward the justices by Democrats uh, over this leaked uh And to refresh everyone's memory, let's play a Schumer, what he said. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. It's it's wrong for Senator Schumer to say that, in my opinion. I mean, 
I know him for a long time. He's a very smart guy. Uh, the only guy I knew that got 1,600 on his SATs. Wow. But I think it was wrong for him to it's, say uh, that. It's more, John, it's Richard Who? Weinberg, Mike. It's more than wrong. It's reprehensible. It's an incitement. Who put out the home addresses of the? Uh... Uh, it was a it was a Twitter group. Ruth sent us, and they actually thought it was funny. They kind of downplayed the whole incident. And meanwhile, this guy, it's the just, equipment that he had on him, well, zip ties, you hammer, know you know what's going to happen magazines. now. These justices, Michael, I like your commenters. They're, they're going to be forced from their homes. Their families are under threat. They're going to have to move them to secure locations. And by the way, that you know, there's a bill floating around Congress. Uh, I understand passed by the Senate but not acted upon by the House. And I got a, an email this morning from one of my friends, a federal judge here in New York, said somebody's got to pay attention to this because the Congress is not giving the security to the federal judges. What do you know about that? Well, look, uh, when when the uh, this leaked draft came out and people started calling for uh, demonstrations in front of their houses, private houses and the uh the white house was asked repeatedly by the press about this do you do you approve of this and they basically said yes as long as it's peaceful but you know it only takes one person to hear the message differently and that's that's who you're playing with here that's those are the dangerous people who follow the who who try to turn these events into something they're not, who who see an energy in them, who see some kind of motivation to go beyond a, a pure demonstration. And so, look, we can't stop demonstrations. We shouldn't stop demonstrations. But I do think we all have to cool the language because we're seeing an awful lot of now political violence. Vi- and, and I use the term... Uh, broadly, because I think that's what this is. This is this is not a protest anymore. Now this is this is an attempt, an assassination, and it, it is it grows out of the same the same thing as a protest. So the language is what propels these things into another dimension, and that's where I think what Senator Schumer said is wrong. I think the White House was wrong for encouraging these demonstrations at the judges' homes. I mean, whoever posted their addresses on public venues, I think that is wrong, too. No good can come of this. Um, um, I want to ask you, Judge Weinberg, how come we not found who leaked the the SCOTUS opinion, the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade? How come? I have, well, and we're lucky we have George Vanzalos here, the former director of the FBI in New York, with us. My problem with the way it's been handled in terms of the, the leaker is this never should have been done by the Supreme Court marshal. He does not have the resources or the experience to do an in-depth investigation. There's only one unit that I know of in our government who has the, the capacity to do a real investigation to find out who the leaker is. I think it's more important than ever, given this attack and this attempted assassination effort against a Supreme Court justice, that we find out who that leaker was. And, George, had this guy not had the crisis of conscience and called uh, the police himself, right. you know, he, Kavanaugh could be dead. His whole family could be dead. He had all these. Why wasn't the FBI protecting the justices? Why weren't there armed guards out front? We know th- threats were made against well, them. Their addresses were published. Well, there were armed guards in front of his house, and that's what happened. Okay. When this guy got out of the, the taxi, he saw the marshals in front of the house, and he started walking down the street. Then he got conscious for some reason called the, the 911. When they arrested him, they, he was still on the phone with the 911 people when they arrested him. So he was, 
I mean, th- this this is so scary of what's happening in this country right now. And this is a perfect example why that that leak is dangerous. Somebody could have got killed, and somebody may still get killed. You know, we have to take this stuff serious. It has to be investigated. And these people have to be punished. Absolutely. If they did things like that, they were wrong. If there was they one of the law clerks, that law yeah. clerk should be disbarred. And if it wasn't, and they should go to, they should be prosecuted and if convicted, they should go to jail. This is a very, very serious phenomenon. But to Michael Goodwin's point, the fact that no one even in the Biden administration condemned these protests outside of the justice's home. What kind of message does that send to the crazies, Michael Goodwin? Well, it, it's a green light, isn't it? I mean, they, they, again, the crazies hear things differently. Uh, w- we can think we're being nuanced, but that's not how the crazies see it. They're, you know, they're hearing a message of a different kind. And, and just, you know, just as we played it out here, it's, wor- it's worth repeating the sequence of events. You have the leak. You have the outrage. You have the protests at the home. You have, you have the Schumer threats. And you have the White House approval of the, the home protest, and now you have an assassination attempt. I mean, it's a sequence. It begins with the leak, but it, it proceeds along a line of anger until somebody says, I'll take care of this. I'll, 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 I'll bring justice to this system. Michael, and it comes with a gun. Michael Goodman, one thing worse, one thing worse is it psychologically driving the Supreme Court not to vote on certain issues, whether it's the gun issue, whether it's uh, uh, Roe versus Wade? Uh, and you got to think about the psychological aspect of it. That if I come up with the wrong decision, they might be they may be outside my home. That's why they leaked it. Yeah. That's exactly why they leaked yeah. it, John. I think you're, you're right. Yep. And, you know, there's another issue, too, that's out there. There was an anti-abortion clinic in Buffalo that was firebombed. Uh, have you heard the New York politicians condemn it? Um, I was reading the, the, the Buffalo News today. The, <laughs> Lieutenant, the attorney general has said nothing. She had no comment. Uh, Governor Hochul's office said nothing until the Buffalo News contacted them, and she put out a statement saying, you know, we decry all violence. But imagine if it were an abortion clinic that had been firebombed, how much outrage there would be on the left. I mean, we've got to begin to see these things as equals. It can't just be that we condemn violence when we don't like the when we like the victims, but we don't mind violence when we don't like the victims. I mean, that's what we're in danger of becoming as a as a political system. Michael, you had an interesting column about the January six hearings. Uh, what are your thoughts about those hearings? Well, I think exactly it's a, this: it's political I, theater. I, I BLM, no it's punishments. It's a show trial. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I mean, you you both said it well. It's a show trial and it's political theater. Uh, this is designed for politics. Uh, and, and the Democrats have not made any bones about that. That's what's amazing. They have said up front they're trying to change the narrative for the fall campaign. Well, that tells me that there's nothing really legitimate happening here, that we know everything they've already done, more or less, or they would have told us by now. Now they're trying to tell a story. They're not so much about 
putting out new facts, but it's trying to capture the public's attention in a way, as I say, you know, yes, sure, you're worried about uh, crime, you're worried about inflation, you're worried about the schools indoctrinating your children. Don't worry, come watch the show. We're going to put a show on for you. We're going to distract you from all of these things. Sure, all of these issues, Democrats, we play some part. But forget all that. You know, come and watch our show. You, you'll enjoy yourself. We'll have a little cake, maybe. Michael. Uh, it, it, to me, it is, it is so uh, blatantly obvious that it's just a political ploy that I'm uh, – I'd be shocked if anybody falls for this and says, gee, I didn't, I didn't think of it this way. I'm going to switch my leanings to back to Democrats. Michael uh, Goodwin, America is under attack. You've said it. I have said it. Uh, I see the, the – Tens of thousands of people on the border that are ready to cross it. Um, and I want to thank you for bringing it to everybody's attention. And, and we only hope that uh, uh, the American people realize. Because what I think is being done in Washington right now, they are telling the people that are not maybe – don't understand what's going on and just hear the big lie over and over again. And they believe the big lie. But I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a war of words that sometimes erupts into a war. And that's what I think is, is the supreme danger now. There's a lot, there's too much violence, whether it's ordinary crime, you know, mass shootings, schools, supermarkets. There's too much violence, and I think everyone should agree that this should be the end now. You have a Supreme Court justice targeted. We've got to tone it down. And maybe they should bring other people on co-conspirator charges that they caused the problem. Well, we're out of time. Thank you, Michael Goodwin, and uh, thank you for everything you do again. We're going to have to take a break right now, and when we come back from the break, uh, we're going to have Mr. Don Levy, is it, from the Siena Poll, and uh, he's going to tell us uh, what the heck is going on and if, if the American people are realizing it and uh, they, are they mad as hell and they can't take it anymore. Let's take that break. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Also another big story we're covering today, Capitol Hill, a summit on gun violence. Mayor Adams was there. Uh, Take a listen to what Mayor Adams said. It is high noon in America. Time for every one of us to decide where we stand on the issue of gun violence. Time to decide if it's more important to protect the profits of gun manufacturers or the lives of our children. Time to decide if we are going to be a nation of laws or confederation of chaos. And we must do it now. It's not the gun's fault. Well, meantime, he's getting the point. Heroin is against the law. Uh, uh, Cocaine is against the law. But you go to any city street, you're going to get it. Well, it looks like Mayor Adams is paying the price for all the crime. A new Siena College Research Institute poll. It seems that the Big Apple is sour on Mayor Adams. Only 29% rate his job performance positively, but 53% like his style. We have the man behind the poll himself. His name is Dr. Don Levy. How are you, sir? 
Great, great, great to be with you. So tell us about your poll, because it was the results were, were surprising. We spoke to a, a thousand New York City residents, and indeed, only 29 percent rate uh, the overall performance of Mayor Adams five months into his administration uh, as being either excellent or good, while 64 percent, twice as many, say that he's doing either a fair or poor job. A couple areas that really jump out, uh, crime, where fewer, only 21 percent, rate the job the mayor is doing as uh, excellent or good, and addressing the problem of homelessness in the city, where, again, even fewer, only 18 percent, say that he's doing an excellent or good job. But as you as you point out, we asked the question and we, we reminded um, uh, respondents that every New York City mayor has their own unique style. Do you approve or disapprove of the style with which Eric Adams is approaching the job? And there we found a majority, 53 percent, um, who approve of uh, his, his style, what the mayor likes to call his swagger. <laughs> Dr. Levy, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. In the poll, did you uh, have any questions with respect to the responsibility of either the New York State Legislature or the New York City Council in creating this environment that's a hostility to to law enforcement and and public order? Uh, No, but we did ask a number of questions about um, city services and the NYPD. Um, So, for example, uh, across the city, we found that a majority, 52 percent, are in favor of increasing uh, the budget for NYPD. Only 17% uh, say they're looking for a decrease in uh, in the budget for the NYPD. Uh, but when we asked uh, city residents, how good of a job do you think the mayor currently is doing uh, to transform the police department into one that can truly protect and serve the people of the city of New York, there by a two-to-one margin, uh, New Yorkers feel as though the mayor is doing no better than fair or poor rather than excellent or good. He gets a little bit higher appraisal amongst um, black residents of the city who see the job that he's doing in terms of transforming the police force uh, 42 percent positively, 56 percent negatively. And, you know, and that's among we, the black uh, constituency? That is true. Yes. Wow. Uh, Now, when we asked uh, some questions about safety, that's what really jumped out in the poll. And I think maybe we could add that to our conversation. Seventy percent of New Yorkers told us that they actually feel less safe today than they did before uh, the pandemic. Uh, And 69 percent told us that they are somewhat or very concerned about a shooting in which a gunman could target people based on their race, their religion or their ethnicity could happen in their neighborhood. Uh, that number jumps to 77% in the Bronx, for example. And even more New Yorkers, 76%, said that right now they're either somewhat or very concerned that they themselves could be the victim of a violent crime. And that 76 number jumps to 81% in the Bronx. Did you see the uh, article written today by Jason Riley of the Wall Street Journal? in which he said that a large number of the black population are trying to get guns because they're so afraid of what's going on in their communities? I didn't see that article, but but clearly what New Yorkers told us uh, is they don't feel safe. Um, we asked another question. We said, uh, in order to keep yourself safe, have you changed your daily routine? Are you doing things differently? Uh, are, you, are you picking a different path to walk to to, uh, to go to work or to go to the subway? Uh, are you, in effect, looking over your shoulder? Uh, and there we found that 51 percent, half of all New Yorkers, 
say that right now they're changing the way they live their lives. They're changing what they do every day just because they are, have to do things to keep safe. And that number jumps to nearly 60 percent of women across the city. So there is a sense that New Yorkers are telling us that I just don't feel safe. Um, it might not be rational. It might The odds of me being the victim might be relatively small, but that's not how I feel. Uh, three quarters say that they think they could be the victim of a crime. Fifty one percent are changing how they live their lives because they need to do that in order to feel safe. Again, we're speaking with uh, Don Levy. Uh, he's a Siena pollster. Our question of the day here at WABC Radio is, do you feel safe riding the subway? And over 90 percent of people said they don't feel safe. There was a recent incident where a woman was randomly flung onto the tracks. I mean, it's I mean, and these are, you know, if you think about how many people actually ride the subway and how many people are in the city there, it's not like uh, the wild, wild west. But however, perception is often reality. And the perception is it's scary to ride the subway and I could die. I could get shoved onto the tracks. Well, one of the things that we asked about was, are you in favor of there being more uh, police in the subways? Um, and um, there we found that 85%, and that goes across every single demographic, by income, <laughs> by race, by borough, 85% of New Yorkers are in favor of getting more cops in the subways. And 63%, nearly every two out of every three New Yorkers say that they would support there being metal detectors at the entrances to uh, subway stations. That number is 70% amongst um, women. So clearly, um, you know, whether or not um, those ideas can uh, can be afforded, uh, again, it's a sentiment. And I think that dovetails with, with what you're saying. People don't feel safe. They'd like there to be you know, police protection so that they would feel safe. Clearly, this uh, survey is, is reading loud and clear uh, to the mayor. That th There are things here that the mayor has supported that um, New Yorkers are in favor of, I like cops in the subway. But what they're saying to the mayor in a very loud voice is, I don't feel safe. Do something so that I feel safer in my city. Do Dr. Levy, uh, I mean, what it also is true, pre-COVID, we had 66 million tourists. We have, what's the word in Brooklyn, bupkis right there? Mm. I mean, uh, those people are not going to come in when they read the headlines of the newspapers. Well, one of the things we asked was, uh, in terms of the, uh, the mayor's performance, how good of a, a job is he doing in the public side in terms of bringing tourists to the city? Um, certainly, uh, the mayor has campaigned and has encouraged tourists to come. Uh, of all the individual elements of his job that we polled on, that was where he scored the best. Um, Forty-three percent of New Yorkers give him a grade of either excellent or good in terms of uh, the job he's doing encouraging tourists to come to New York. Forty-nine percent said only fair or poor, but it is a uphill uh, climb for him given the amount of, uh, of violence and given the amount of coverage of that violence um, if New Yorkers are afraid to be in the city, then it stands to reason that tourists are as well. Well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Mr. Don uh, Levy. Uh, and um, thank you for telling us the truth. And look, I like Eric Adams, and I think he wants to do a good job. And I think a lot of people believe he wants to do a good job. And Albany is holding him back. But uh, let's see what happens. And we'll have you on again real soon. And uh, we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're coming back with Dr. Mark Siegel. So many things happening in medicine. 
Let's see what he Do has Do you know there say. might be another cure for pancreatic cancer? There could be a vaccine. I want to hear about that. I got so many of my friends have it. Let's take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Dr. Oh, what, what we're calling we're him back. By. Now, I understand. We had him on last week that uh, uh, Keene uh, won in New Jersey last night, the Republican primary. He won, yeah. He won. Uh, how, how big did he win? Uh, 45%. I'd, but I, I'm not 100% sure if he needs a 50%, but he basically won handedly uh, the next person. So he, he's he got it. He declared victory. I he got it. He's got it. He's got it. So we're, he seemed we're, like a nice kid. Yes, he's doing a great job. Now we got Dr. Siegel on the line. Dr. Siegel, I mean, we got some incredible news. First, we're hearing about that Sloan Kettering study that came out and said that everybody that had the, what is it, rectal cancer, they're still in remission. Now we're hearing about pancreatic cancer. There could be an mRNA vaccine, the same technology we use for the COVID vaccine, could be a cure for pancreatic cancer. Can you explain what all of this means? Well, let's start with the uh, the one you started with, which is the rectal cancer. That that drug has been out. It's 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 a drug that's made by GSK, GlaxoSmithKline. It's what's called a mismatch repair, meaning let me bring break that down to English. That if you have the kind of solid tumor that isn't repairing itself, and that's what makes it cancer, that it's got a lot of genetic changes, and that it infiltrates locally the tissue. And you can't operate on it. And you can't do chemo on it, which is basically poison. And you don't know how to treat it. If you have that repair problem, this immunotherapy works. And it's working dramatically at this study out of Sloan Kettering 100% of the time in 18 patients, which is unbelievable. And, And here's what's really exciting about it. The word monoclonal antibody. I bet you haven't heard that before now. I'm breaking news on John Casamitidi's show here because that is the same word you heard with COVID. These are targeted treatments. Now, how it works here with this rectal cancer is phenomenal, which is cancer hides from your immune system. It makes itself disappear on something called a protein, a PD-1 protein. It makes it invisible so your immune cells don't see it. Well, this drug inhibits that. And by inhibiting it, this antibody inhibits that process, and the damn thing lights up, and the next thing you know, your T-cells, your immune cells, target it for destruction, and in these 18 people, it disappeared. And so now, if it does come back, you could operate on it this time, and it may not come back at all. And now tell us about the pancreatic cancer vaccine. Pancreatic cancer is often deadly because by the time someone feels the symptoms, it's already spread. It's stage four. And that's why it is so deadly. They call it the silent killer. And the fact that they... And, you know, mRNA vaccines, hello, Operation Warp Speed, hello, Donald Trump, we created something that we were already researching for cancer. And what's tough about pancreatic cancer is by the time you diagnose it, it's already spread. And it's it's hard to operate on it. Fifteen percent of the time, you can actually operate on it and remove it. But we were having a problem because it isn't as genetic. It's like the opposite story of what I just told you with the rectal cancer. By the way, that rectal cancer also endometrial cancer, bladder cancer. 
the pancreatic cancer won't respond to that drug because it's not that genetic. It doesn't mutate as much as the other one I just told you about. So what we did was we got now an mRNA vaccine, which does just what you what I said is it creates the ability for the body's immune system to attack the pancreatic cancer. We didn't really have the ability to do that before. Also very promising. This is why we developed mRNA technology, by the way, not for a COVID vaccine, but to target cancer cells. As someone who had a close family member who had cancer, but people don't realize the chemotherapy, it makes you so sick because not only is it going after the cancer cells, it also kills the healthy cells. So when you have these kind of immunotherapies and the vaccines, you're actually preserving the person's quality of life as well when they're undergoing treatment, correct, in many cases? There are side effects to immunotherapy, including mm-hmm. diarrhea, rashes. Uh, it can cause lung issues. But you know what? You, what you just said is right. And the way you described chemotherapy, I'm giving you my honorary do- medical degree. Lydia, you also just recovered from COVID. You did great. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're, an, you're an inspiration to I me. I minored and in biology. Also- I minored in biology. I thought about I wanted to become a doctor because I love it. I got a 98 on my bio regions and chemistry. And the only thing I wasn't good at was physics. I, I didn't. Uh, Mr. Dawson was a horrible teacher, but um, I, I love med- med- medical stuff. Well, you know, physics can be seen in, in modern politics, can it? Equal and opposite reactions. Everyone on this panel knows that. <laughs> Isaac Newton was brilliant. Yeah, and uh, you just have to wonder how far up uh, his butt is Biden. I don't know because he's not uh, making any sense. We're talking about. Well, he needs to. Yeah, I don't think he's reading physics anymore. By the way, one, <laughs> one more thing: monkeypox, a lot of hype. I'm telling you, that's because we're afraid of everything now. Everything's going to get us. John, do you, you have know, a question we, about the monkeypox? No, I said, uh, how do you get it? You have sex with monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> well, now let's I, not go there, John. Come on. You, you, I mean, you, but it came, we need to laugh a little. Bit. It came from Sharing some kind saliva. of saliva. I mean, I mean, you know, going to a rave. That monkey looks sexy, maybe. I don't know. Well, it's gone to rodents now. (laughs) It's more in rodents. John, I hate to disappoint you, but it's more in rodents than in in monkeys and prairie dogs, by the way. I don't think they're particularly attractive. I don't know about you. So, Dr. Siegel, did Sid Rosenberg call you at 6 o'clock in the morning? Because we heard he called somebody at 6 o'clock in the morning to get them on the show. No, I'm on Sid's show tomorrow. But I thought Casamitidis twisted his arm. No, we love you. Well, Dr. Mark Siegel, we're out of time, but thank you for keeping us informed and keeping everybody informed. Uh, Judge Weinberg, thank you. And uh, and uh, George Venizelos, thank you for telling the truth. And Lydia, my sidekick. And uh, some of us tonight are going to Catholic Charities. We're going to be with Cardinal Dolan, which will be a great night. But now I hear that tune in the background, and you know what that means. Truth, truth justice, justice, and, and the, the American, American way. way. God bless. God bless New York and God bless America. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.